So if anyone's new here this morning, my name's Neil, just to let you know, I'm pastor here. And I'd love for you to come and say hello afterwards. That would be my joy, my pleasure to meet you. So don't feel shy. Sometimes it's a bit hard for me to know who's here and not. And and so I'd love to just meet you and um, say hello. That would be, like I said, my great pleasure. So we've been looking at relationships and uh, how we connected to God in lots of different ways. And what I wanted to do this week was actually start looking maybe at uh, how a husband should live with a wife, okay? Um, so we all know that husbands are to love their wives and, you know, that's great. But how, how do we do that? How do we do that as husbands? Um, I just want to encourage those that maybe don't have a believing husband or a believing wife, don't feel that's inferior to anyone else, okay? Because this obviously is going out here and if your wife isn't here or your husband isn't here, as we go through this series, you might think, well, you know, how does that apply to me? What I'd like you to do is to start to listen to these words and pray them for your husband or your wife, okay? So there's quite a difference between praying about your husband or your wife and praying for your husband and your wife because when we pray about our husband or wife, quite often it's just a list of complaints. Um, Yeah, (laughs) Jemima, don't make yourself known. (laughs) All right, so quite quite often it's like, oh, you know, change them, they're this, they're that, they're the other, and, you know, um, they really need a change, and God changed them, they, they're just pathetic, and uh, we, we need you to move God on their life. What I want you to do is start to take some of the words that, that come out over this time and start praying for them. So what does that mean? Okay, so let's just say there's a verse, which there is, that says to live joyfully with your wife the wife of your youth. So you think, well, my husband, he's a horror. He comes home and he's just, you know, miserable and, you know, when I see him, he doesn't smile, he doesn't greet me with a hello at the door. It's like when he walks in, the first thing he says is, why is everything messy? And he just doesn't show me any appreciation. What I'd like you to do is to start to pray the Word of God over their lives, okay? So what you do when you pray is you go, Father God, I just thank you that your word says that a husband should be living joyfully with his wife. I just thank you right now that joy is flooding my husband. I just thank you, Father God, that his strength is coming from you. They might not be saved, but I tell you what, God moves on your behalf because the Bible says that if you are married to an unbeliever, that he, that relationship that you have with them, he or her, is sanctified. It's holy. And you might think, well, they're not a Christian, so my relationship is less. No, it's not. God says because you are the believer, you actually bring a holiness to that union, okay, which is good. And it says also that your kids therefore receive that holiness from you. And we'll be looking at that in a bit more detail later on when we look at um, the parent and child relationship. If you're not married, please consider this, that the best marriage you can have is with someone who loves God and follows after him. Can you imagine? You're newly married and and sometimes people just enter in and they're not saved and they're both not saved and then one gets saved and so what, what do you do about that? But if you've got the chance, think about it, okay? And we're going to look at that a little bit today in regard to what a man's meant to be for the wife. 
Imagine you get to this point, you're married, you're newly married, maybe three or four weeks down the road into, into your marriage, you're like, I really need to pray about this with someone. Husband, what do you think? Let's pray about this. And they're like, yeah, that's your stuff. That's just your stuff. That's your religion. That's your belief. You pray about it. Can you see how it just removes something powerful from the relationship? It's like, I want to follow after God. Are you with me? No, you do it yourself. And it's not a condemning word to anyone whose husband or wife is not saved. It's not that at all. It's saying to those who aren't married, choose carefully. Choose really carefully. This is probably the biggest decision of your life to get married to someone. I cannot think of a bigger decision that there is because when the two become one, it affects us in every way. It affects us in every way. Um, And hopefully it's in a positive way because we take care about what we're doing. Okay. So... Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and we'll just have a look at that. It'll take me a little while to look up. I didn't bring my book today, so I'm using this computer. So Ephesians 5, we all know that um, this talks about the husband and the wife and their relationship. So Ephesians 5 verse about 20-ish or so. Let's have a look. Spirit-guided relationships for wives and husbands. So we're looking at verse 21. And this is really interesting as we go and look through this, but we're just starting with this. We're going to touch on it a little bit, but then we're going to go back into what a husband is meant to be. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. We talked about that this morning. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So what God's saying here to, to guys is you need to love your wife just as much as you love your own body. And this is an important start because what he's saying right now is that nobody hates their own body. Nobody sort of doesn't feed themselves when they're hungry. Nobody doesn't go and get a haircut when they need it. Nobody doesn't get the clothes that they need when they need them. They will take whatever they need and give it to themselves, basically. And what God's saying is that The two are one. The husband and wife have become one. We've looked at that last week. The two are one. So now what God's saying is your wife is an extension, so to speak, of you. Does it mean she's less than you? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that she's inferior to you? No, it doesn't. But it means the two become one. It is a husband's responsibility to start to understand that, to think, well, what do I need? 
well, maybe my wife needs that too. What does she need? Start to understand what her needs are. And quite often men are so ignorant of the fact that their wife is in need of something. They really are. Because they haven't fully translated this amazing relationship that God says, this is a great mystery, the two become one. They haven't translated that over and thought, well, wait a minute. Me caring for my wife, what the Bible says here in Ephesians, is actually me caring for myself. When I care for her, I'm actually caring for myself. Now I am making this decision that it's not about me anymore, it's about us as one, caring for her. So when we look at that word for husbands, it means to love your wives This means that you have a preference for her. It means you wish her well. Now, I don't think that means in a I wish you well sort of thing. I think it's a deep desire that I want to see my wife flourish. I want to see her blossom. I want to see her achieve every dream she's had. Because just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, So too, God is saying here, husband, you need to understand that the church is the church because Jesus Christ died for it. And because he died for it, he lifted up you people as Christians and said you are no longer worthless and useless and full of sin, but now you are glorified, sanctified and holy to God. Jesus didn't come to be the master He was the Lord and he is the Lord and he'll forever be the Lord. But he didn't come down as a a tyrant, a dictator and say, church, because you've done this, I'm going to force you to love me. I'm going to force my will upon you. He came down in a different way. He came down in a humble way. In fact, the Bible says he humbled himself, gave up heaven and came to earth to save us. This is what Christ did for the church. So when we think, is Jesus the head of the church? Yes, he is. How did the head behave? The head got down, went underneath, served the church, lifted them up. And in the same way, the Bible says, husband, you're head of the wife. So as a head, your job is to go down and lift up your wife, make her to be all she's meant to be. In fact, when it starts to talk about sanctifying the church by the washing of the water of the word, man, your job is to make your wife the best Christian that she could ever be because you are supportive, you are behind her, you are loving her. You are saying, what do you need to become a better Christian? What about my life? Am I pouring out God into you as a husband? Am I washing you? Am I cleansing you? And the reason that Jesus did this was so that he could present the bride to God. He'd washed us. He'd made us clean from our sin. He'd sanctified us. And he presents us to God in that way. Father, these are the people that I came for, that I cleansed, that I washed. And in the same way, husband, that is what your job is. You think, well, no, my wife's good. No, she's not. 
She needs you to be a godly man who takes responsibility for your Christian walk and not only that, provides a lead to his wife and his children of how to live for God. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. Why are we going here? This actually isn't talking about husbands and wives. I want you to listen to what Proverbs are for. And I want you to consider this. Today you have a choice. You have a choice whether to listen to the Word of God or not. It's that simple. You can either follow after what God says or you cannot. It's that simple. But remember this, that God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. If you don't follow after the spiritual things from the flesh, you'll reap death and corruption. And so I just want to underpin that with Proverbs chapter 1 here because I can give you, if I had it, all the wisdom of marriage. You could come and say, Neil, show us what an amazing marriage is like. And if I knew that, which I do, because my marriage is amazing, I could pass things on to you, but it means absolutely nothing, nothing at all. You could decide even as a couple to go to counselling. You might get the best marriage counsellor in the world and they pour their life into you. They give you all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the keys, all the tools, how you do it, how you make your marriage great. You walk out of that session and you don't do one of those things. Guess what? Doomed to fail, absolutely doomed to fail. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. By exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So we see here that We're being told that wisdom can improve your life. The insights of the wise, and God is the wise, will help you to live a disciplined and successful life. It'll help you be right. It'll help you be just. It'll help you be fair. They'll give you insight and discernment, and it's even for the young. So kids, don't switch off. If you think you're pretty good and you're pretty wise... It then says, you might be good, but guess what? You can be better because they will give <coughs> excuse me, more wisdom to the wise. And the start of that is to fear the Lord, to make him number one in your life. And husband, that is the first thing that you need to be for your wife. Let's go to Psalm 128. Verse 3. 
So Psalm 128, and we're looking at verse 3. It's a good little psalm. Just got to get the right button here. <laughs> we'll start at verse 1. We might even... Yeah, that's it. 1 to 3. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labour. How joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be vigorous, young olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. Isn't that interesting? The first thing, husband, you need to do to have a good marriage and to be blessed is fear the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and follow his ways. You see, if you don't follow after what God has for you, how can you possibly receive his blessing? And what is the blessing? We might think, well, you know, there's riches and honour, which is also part of God blessing us. But this psalm directly addresses this. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing in your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. And then verse 4, that is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. Think about that. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. What's the Lord's blessing? That will have a fruitful wife flourishing in his house. His children will be like young olive trees. They're not only strong and stable and live for a long time, but they also produce an oil and food and a place for birds to nest. <coughs> and husband, if you want your wife to flourish in your home, you better start to fear the Lord. You better start to follow his ways. Because when you do, God promises here that your wife will suddenly come alive. You might think, oh yeah, but she doesn't respect me, doesn't love me. That's your fault. That sounds harsh. <laughs> and it is. But seriously, men, there's nothing more appealing than a man who loves God. Who wants the best for his wife. Who, who gets the treasures that God has and applies them to his marriage. I'm not saying it's always easy. Because as we start to unfold some of these more words that we're going to look at, if you can bring them into your marriage, you will start to see your wife come alive. You will start to see her flourish. You will start to see joy come upon her. And I just remember sitting in a restaurant once and seeing a couple, an old couple sitting at a table and they weren't looking at each other, they were just sitting there. You know, he's reading the paper, she's doing her own thing. What do women do? Sudokus? <laughs> Cross-stitch? What's that new game, Joe? Sugar, sugar rush? <laughs> Candy crush? Whatever it is. <laughs> I got addicted to that. <laughs> I have to say, luckily I can't get through the level, so I'm going to give up soon. That's me, consistent. 
And then, then there was another couple at another table and they're obviously so much in love and they're, they're just talking, you know, the sparks in their eyes, they're looking into each other's eyes and, and he's grabbing her hand and caressing it. And he went up, he had to go somewhere and he comes back and he gives her a kiss on the back of the neck. Of course, this old couple's sitting there and the wife's looking over and she's going, I wish that was me. And she looks at her husband and pushes his paper down and he says, she has, you see that couple over there? Can you see that? Why don't you do that? And he says, but I hardly even know her. <laughs> does, does that make sense? But we don't want to lose that spark in marriage. So we're going to look at that. Proverbs 5, we're going to read verse 15 to 18. Proverbs 5, 15 to 18. I don't know if we'll get through all this today, but we'll see how we go. Proverbs 5, verse 15 to 18. Drink water from your own well... Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondle the breasts of a promiscuous woman? For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path that he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. And yes, we did use that word in church. But there's something in here that we need to understand as men. Number one, we need to live joyfully, joyfully with the wife of our youth. Don't be a sourpuss. Don't be the husband that comes in and all he does is say, what have you done all day? Why is the house messy? Why this, why that, why what? I had a bad day, so you're going to cop it. Live joyfully with the wife of your youth. Change the way you come in to the house. Don't drag the cares and troubles of this world back to your home and lump them all on your wife. Who wants to live with the misery guts? Not me. Not me. And I don't want to be one. And I am sometimes like that, to be honest. I've had to really push hard to love Christmas, <laughs> but I do now because it's all, it's all about this. That Just enjoy it. Love it. Give gifts. Have fun. Enjoy life together. You know, there's some people that everything's a complaint. Everything's a whinge. Like no matter what they say, whatever comes out their mouth, it's not good enough. They didn't do this and they didn't do that. The service was bad. The, the this, the that. The day was too long. The day was too short. The day was just right, but then guess what? Some turkey messed it up. <laughs> Nothing, not looking at you, Mark. <laughs> Don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. He just looked all of a sudden in the spotlight. No, it wasn't directed at you. 
But there's something about a joyful personality that can bring life into a house. And husband, if you want your wife to be joyful, how about you be joyful? Show her that you actually enjoy her, enjoy being with her, that you love her. In fact, um, the Bible says that if a guy was in the military and he just got married, for a whole year he was not meant to do service in the military. Do you know what the reason was? Because he was meant to stay at home and cheer up his wife. What? Cheer up his wife? Why is she so miserable? She married me. (laughs) But there's something about bringing happiness and joy into your home that just cannot be pulled down. Rejoice with the wife of your youth. Um, Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, live joyfully with her. Live joyfully with her. Isn't that great? Husband, if you're horrible and miserable, it's not going to be fun in marriage. It really isn't. And there's nothing to respond to. Who do you like hanging around? The guy or the girl who's just so funny and you go and see them and they're happy all the time and and they tell jokes and, and they're alive and they love life and they're not complaining all the time but they look at the best of things all the time. That's who we want to be as a husband. Seem to be majoring on that this morning. But the joy, joy, and where does true joy come from? The Lord. In his presence is fullness of joy. Goes back to that first point. Husband, you need to fear the Lord. Take your walk with God seriously. Come to his presence. And if you haven't got joy, get into his presence because the Bible says in his presence is fullness of joy. What an awesome thing. And then, husband, you need to be faithful. When we look through that passage, it's her breasts that satisfy you. Not the breasts of some woman in a magazine or on the internet or at a strip club. Hers and hers alone. I think it was in Job, it says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a maiden. What he was saying is this, I've made a covenant with my wife and I'm going to remain faithful and I'm going to remain pure to her. In John, 1 John 2 verse 16, it talks about these three things, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life that can destroy you. I might actually just look that up, just take a minute. Maybe you can too. So 1 John. Two John, we don't want that. So 1 John, chapter 2. And verse 6. That can't be right. 16, yes, beg your pardon. I didn't see the one, I must need glasses. You know, I, um, this is just a side note. <laughs> I found some glasses up here the other day, or someone handed them in, and they must have been just the magnifying ones. I put them on, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> Things are so clear. But I still refuse to wear them. 
Okay. <laughs> Verse 15. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. It's the lust of the flesh. A craving for everything we see, the lust of the eye, and pride in our achievements and possessions. They're not from the Father, but they're from this world. Do you know what? Whatever you feed will grow. Whatever you feed will grow in your life. And men and women these days, just think about this as we start talking. So many of these things apply both ways in marriage. So whatever you feed will grow. If you start feeding the lust of your eye, to look upon other women in a lustful way, which is against what God wants, that is going to grow in your life. Whatever you feed will grow. If you feed the things that make you feel good, they will grow. Because as you feed them, they gain strength. They are nourished. They are cared for. And so what the Bible says here is, don't you dare... Get the things you need from another woman. Don't you dare. This is not what God designed in marriage. He didn't design marriage for you to be just unfaithful with your eyes, but it's all right because I'm faithful to my wife. Physically, I haven't been with another woman or even women the other way around. I haven't physically been with another man. What you feed will grow. And I remember when I was in the fire brigade, there was a man there who used to say this to me. He said, it doesn't matter where you get your appetite as long as you eat at home. What a fool. Because guess what? One day that takeaway is going to seem so nice. It's just going to seem so good. (laughs) He's just going to have to eat out one night. Because maybe... Dinner's not ready for him at home. And he's built up a lust in his heart and he just wants it right now. And his wife isn't there in that place. And why should she be if he's like that? And so he's going to be tempted because he's been feeding this physical pleasure, the the lust of the eye, feeding it. Whatever you feed will grow. And God says, you need to feed your spirit. You need to feed your spirit and you need to love your wife. She is the object of your affection. You make a covenant, man, that you will not look at another woman lustfully, but you will be be pure. And it doesn't mean just for married men. Because young men use this as an opportunity to grow self-control. Grow self-control by not looking upon a girl that way. In fact, the Bible says that Younger men are to treat younger women as their sisters with all purity and honour. It is not what God wants you to do is to, to look at, at girls and have, a, have this opinion of them that is based around your needs and your wants and your physical desires. Use the time you're not married to develop self-discipline. And to actually start to look at girls or look at boys as brothers and sisters until the time when you're married. So, how are we going for time? 
Am I rambling on? Going too long? There's still a lot more there that I want to want to go through. And I might just sort of quickly talk about these things. Husband, praise your wife. Praise your wife. Let's go to Proverbs 31. You are going to set a precedent for your family in how they treat your wife. You're going to set a precedent for how they treat their mother. The way you honour and love her, yes, I did say honour her as well, but isn't that just for the wife? No, it's not. In fact, Ephesians 5.21 said, Submit to one another firstly out of reverence for the Lord. And we'll have a look at the meanings of those next week, I think. I might just look at them next week because it will take maybe a bit long. So what did I say? Proverbs what? (laughs) Proverbs 31, the amazing woman. Why are we looking at a woman? It's about the husband. It doesn't make sense. I'll make it make sense. Okay, Proverbs 31. And we're reading from verse 28. This proverb here in 31 gives an amazing description of a woman. And we're going to actually look at that more when we're talking about a wife later on. But it talks about her character, how beautiful she is and what she does and even how she dresses and looks after herself. And verse 28 says this, Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. This is what he says. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty doesn't last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. So women, guess what? While the husband's got to fear the Lord, you got to too. Verse 31, reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. You know what? Husband, you can never say enough nice things to your wife. You can never say enough nice things to your wife. When I read that, it just speaks to my heart and says, husband, you ought to praise her. When she's done a good job, when she hasn't even, praise her. Tell her she looks nice. Tell her that she's lovely. Build her up. Don't just think she knows all these things. And by doing that, you're going to put into your children the same spirit that you have. They're going to call her blessed. They're going to rise up and say, what a wonderful mum I've got. And they will respect her as a parent. And verse 31, guys, this one's a tough one. Reward her for all she's done. You know, there seems to be this capacity inside of men to be stingy and hold on. And the wife might need something or just enjoy something. And, and, and they go and do it and they feel so guilty. You know, it's that dress that comes out of the cupboard and, and he says, where'd you get that? <laughs> where'd you get that? Is that new? No, I've had it for months. And they have, but they've never worn it. <laughs> because they're too scared to tell their husband they've gone and bought something. Because he's stingy and he doesn't want them to be beautiful and look great and and spend his money that he's worked so hard to get. 
Yet at the same time, she has built up their house, looked after the children, cared for them mostly. And I understand there's stay-at-home dads as well. But she's built this house and tried to keep it in order the best she can. And, and some men just have this idea that their wife deserves an allowance like their kids, that you have to control the money and where it goes. And that's not a bad thing to be prudent. In fact, the Bible says a prudent wife is from the Lord. We're going to look at that as well, where it's not wasteful. But reward her. Take her out. Give her a good time. She's had a really hard day with the kids. Take her out for a cup of coffee. Take her out to her favourite restaurant. If she's into flowers, buy her flowers. Whatever it is that she needs, give it to her. And be generous. Reward her for what she's done. And when you look at this proverb in in the New King James Version, version, it talks about how the husband is well known at the city gates. He sits in there with the elders of the city. And at verse 31, as you go down, like in verse 24, 23, I beg your pardon, it talks about that if if you're looking at that. In this version it says her husband, actually I'll change the version, that'll be easier. Thank you, technology. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Verse 31, it says, Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. And as I read through that, it really struck me that this man was sitting among people of honour as an elder. And where was he sitting? In the gates. The entrance to the city. And guess where her works were praising her? In the gates. In the entrance to the city. In other words, the husband in such a place of, of where people come in and out of a city, the first thing they hear is, my wife's amazing. I love my wife. She's beautiful. She's done so much for me. And I found that really interesting that, that she was known in the gates because that's where her husband sat and her husband talked about her. So he didn't just praise her to herself, but he praised her publicly. And it is so horrible when you sit around in a group of blokes and all they do is whinge about their wife. She's this, she's that, she's done this, she's a... Put whatever word you want there and I've heard them all. What? You're married to that person and yet you speak so lowly of them? No wonder you're having trouble. No wonder you're having trouble. And it can be the other way around where wives just sit and whinge about their husbands all day and call it a prayer meeting. (laughs) Ouch! (laughs) But it can happen. All right? And so there's nothing wrong with the truth and praying for people. But how about we just be a bit discreet if that's the case? And we have some trusted people that we can share and pray through things with. Not the whole world. When you talk about your wife to other people, if you've got nothing nice to say, say nothing at all, seriously. 
but start to build her up. Praise her. Let, let, let your children praise her and make other people know around you that you love your wife. Do you know what that also does is shut down the opportunity for sin to enter. Shuts down the opportunity for adultery because someone who is looking for someone to trap will go for the person who's always whinging about their wife and, and how they don't love him or, or even the other way around. Men are not stupid either. They're cunning and crafty. And when a woman's saying, I just don't have anyone to talk to, I've got an ear for you. How about you talk to me? I'll listen to your problems. I don't know how it happened. We just grew so close and we just fell into adultery. You didn't fall into anything. And I think sometimes we open up doors that should not be open because of who we talk to and how we talk about people. And in marriage, you need to guard it and keep it safe and close and loved and let her breasts satisfy you, not the breasts of another woman. And just love your wife to bits. Give her what she deserves. Thank her for what she's done. And I'm going to leave it there and we'll look at some other things next week.